Folks, this week on At The Podium, Manny sits down with NFL wide receiver for the Detroit Lions, Khalif Raymond. Today, Khalif is going to share stories about how he found football at a very early age and his pursuit of making it to the NFL. He'll talk about how he went to Holy Cross College where he played football and ran track, some of the moments and mentors along the way where he doubted his ability or people doubted his ability to make it to play at the highest level and what kept him going through. Ultimately, standing at five feet, seven inches, Khalif is one of the shortest players currently in the NFL, and Khalif tells the story of how he overcame the smallest odds of finding success and the things that allowed him to achieve his dream. Enjoy Manny's conversation with Khalif Raymond. Folks, what a treat we have today. Going into week seven of the 2022 NFL season, we're sitting here with my man who's become a dear, dear friend, wide receiver for the Detroit Lions, Holy Cross grad. And hey, he's going to tell you he wasn't quick at Holy Cross, but (laughs) rumor was he set some sprinting records while he was at Holy Cross. Khalif Raymond. Khalif, thanks for being with us today. I appreciate you having me, brother. So Khalif and I were just chuckling about a bunch of things. He said, hey, if I start talking too fast, let me know. And I'm like, I don't think my man Khalif knows how fast I talk on the show. I'm I'm hoping I have. uh, You can can match with me there. I'm going to start rambling at the bit at some point. So We're going to get a lot in in the next 40 to 45 minutes, folks. So Khalif, you know, as you know, there's so many things I love to unpack with the men and women that we've had on the show to share their life stories. And man, there's so much in someone's life story that I think our listeners consistently pull away as like lessons, golden tickets for the future, things they can tap into as advice and good counsel from the people who've been there before, right? Absolutely. I'm super, super excited to share with our listeners a little bit more about your upbringing. And I don't think most folks, most folks think you've been in Detroit forever, right? I mean, you became a household name really quick when you signed with the Lions in 21. But I don't think that most folks know that you grew up in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Mm -hmm. And the uniqueness of your childhood, the influence of your parents, but not just parents, your extended family. Why don't you take us down memory lane and talk a little bit about your childhood and maybe one or two memories that really stand out? Yeah, so grew up in Georgia. Mom is Asian American, dad is black, so that already creates a, a whole different dynamic in the household. Yeah, my, my mom's when I say Asian American, they actually a lot of people don't know they actually came on a boat over from Vietnam and sinking the boat, swimming over. I mean, there's a whole story. She almost died on the way over. There's a, there's a lot of stuff to uh, to unpack there. But got a big family. They end up splitting, so we have a really I have a really big family with my dad having kids, my mom having kids, and it's like between eight. And 12, give or take, <laughs> uh, as far as siblings go. So, and then I'm kind of like, I'm oldest, second oldest kind of thing. So I'm up yeah. there. So basically, it's just a, a huge mentorship. But that was probably the biggest thing, which is there are two different houses. And then there were like little pieces in the house where like I knew if I hit this string, I was at my dad's house, but the string wasn't there. I was at my mom's. And then that dynamic was really, really interesting. So, yeah, that was, that was probably the biggest thing. Grew up in Georgia, tried to get into sports. Mom wouldn't let me. And then eventually my stepdad came in and he was like, let's go into football. And football Love kicked it. off from there. When did you first start playing football? I was eight. I think I had to beg for two years before mom was like not having it. And stepdad came in and was like, his name's Tim. And he was like, no, nah, let's, let's get in. I think he played ball at Marshall. He's like, no, nah, we definitely get him into football. So a lot of man hours there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just throwing with me catching and eventually it uh, kicked off into something cool. Yeah. Share with our listeners, what's your fondest memory from when you first started to get Kim's permission? Because Kim is your mother, right? Yep. And I want to talk about Kim a little bit more later Uh because I know you have a tradition with Kim every time you score. 
But when Kim finally started to give you permission to play sports, share with us what were one or two of maybe your fondest memories as you started to navigate the various sports that you played as a young man? Because I know you played a bunch before you went off to Holy Cross. Uh, I probably have two from Little League, and then the biggest one was my senior year in uh, high school. Mom, once she let me play, she kind of like, okay, like it's okay after a while. She let me play, but I had a dive and catch my like first or second game in Little League, and that was like, oh, this kid's special. Um, <laughs> It's funny because that dive and catch, it was like, oh, it was a dive and catch, but apparently that was the only way I could catch because every time I caught the ball, I fell down. Because <laughs> it was like, if you just stay on your feet, you might score. But like, I was so comfortable with the dive and like the harder catches was the easiest ones. The second one, I only remember this because apparently this is my first time crying during a game and I cried the whole game. So my dad came to a game and he was in the stands and I dropped the pass. I looked up and saw him. I just started bawling, crying. I'm hysterical on the sideline. They like can't control me. They like, man, you might have to leave. Tell my dad you might have to leave because we never seen him like this. And then that was my first time seeing, like, just seeing how emotional, like, which means I cared about it. Yes. In high school, which is probably the one that really kind of changed the course of my life. I broke my ankle my senior year, and that was a broken dislocation. Looked down, turned to the right, and that kind of sets up the story for everything else up to this point. That that moment right there was, I think, one of the biggest moments, man. And I want you to unpack that moment a little bit, but I know I know that while you were in high school, I think it was sometime around your sophomore season, there was another gentleman who had a big, big influence and impact in your life of sports and as you've evolved into a man, aside from your stepfather, Tim, and your father. Yep, Mr. His name's Lawrence Nelson. He's my best friend's dad. And he was he's been my biggest mentor up until this moment, taught me everything I know, changed my thought process on family, and then changed my thought process on who I am in my family. Man, he accompanied me to my college visits, even kind of helped me tailor that process. He was like, hey man, because I was so family oriented because my mom like, so we're Asian, so family's yes. like huge. There's a school that I could have just walked on to or to go to Holy Cross. And he was like, look, I know you want to stay home, but you staying near, you may be impact a little bit here day and day. Like maybe able to do a little bit here and there. But if you leave and you get a clean slate and you go learn and you grow you'll be able to come back and impact more than you ever thought you could have by being able to go. And like just for that kind of example is kind of what he was doing to my entire mental while he was with me. He actually comes to day almost every game he can now. That's uh, awesome. That was really cool, man. That kind of understanding broadened everything for me. So Yeah, I mean, absolute shout out to Mr. Nelson, right? We yep. we often talk about the difference between family, mentors, and advocates. And in family, it's almost seen as this kind of like Hey, your family, so you got to provide this unflinching loyalty, yep. even when you strongly disagree. Yep. Mentors kind of help you understand how to make good decisions and maybe get to where you want to go. But advocates are helping you make great decisions and open doors that you might not have known was a door you should open. Absolutely. And so that Holy Cross story, that's a great example of Mr. Nelson helping to ensure that you saw the value of going through that door. Even as far as getting to Holy Cross, because actually when I say parlaying back to when I broke my ankle, so I broke my ankle. No college offers, super small. I was supposed to go to like the Memphis the next day. I'm kind of getting there, but I think I'm like five, seven at this point, and my ankle's broken. And I remember being on the field, and I'm like, hey, y'all going to have to tape this ankle up because I don't have no offers. They're like, hey, it's turned to the right. You ain't going back out there. So I'm like, y'all don't understand. Like, I don't have a choice. I have no, there's no, there's nothing I can do here. So I remember seeing him at the top of the stands, and he, I remember calling my name, and I turned around. He was like, look, you're going to be okay. And at that moment, I think he was saying it, but I also think he knew I was going to be okay because he had another plan. But he gave me the greatest gift that I think I could have got for him. And what he did was he, instead of doing everything for me, he told me how to do it and encouraged me to do it myself. So I had no offers. And he said, look, go to ESPN.com, 
D1AA, D2, D3, go to every single conference, click the name of the school. I want you to go to every single staff and directory of each one. I want you to put in the emails on the Gmail, which I still have a lot of Gmail to this day. I want you to put in an email to every single coach. I want you to email your name and your highlight tape to every single school, every single conference. The greatest thing he did for me was he didn't do it for me. He told me how to do it and told me to apply it and would check in every week, say, hey man, how's it going? Because I knew he would check in. The accountability. Exactly. It showed me that I can I can do it myself. Well, like, he obviously helped me. So I ended up conjuring up about 840 emails to this day. That what? I yeah. <laughs> and then out of that, I probably got, I always tell people, I probably got maybe 10 to 15 responses. Out of that, only maybe two or three were like legitimate. We want you here. And Holy Cross is one of them. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Chad, you're going to have to pull off those ratios in a graphic, <laughs> yeah. dude. Yeah. So 800 plus outreaches. Give, eight, give eight, or take. Give or take. I yeah. don't want to be specific. In, uh, okay. But it's around there. Plus or minus 10%, Chad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 800 outreaches. About 10 to 15 responses and two to three seriously interested, legitimate considerations. Man, I'll tell you what, Holy Cross, if you're listening to this, you got to put put my man Khalif on a commercial. All right. That was a great decision. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm thankful. He actually accompanied me on a trip too. Uh, He's like, man, I just feel like you need a presence there. My best friend, Dre, ended up going to Princeton and played ball. So he'd been through the process. I had a younger brother named Trey. He went through the process and I'm going to Tufts. My best friend, Deshaun, who's kind of saw like a little trio of us, he ended up going to Navy and then later on to, oh gosh, I can't think of the school. It's another military school. He ended up going there. So he had kind of had a process and foundation. We get there to the recruiting day, man. It's, a, it's like 25, 30 guys there. I'm the last guy in there. So me and him looking at each other like, there's no way there's any offers upstairs. Like we're the last people in here. Yeah. And went up there and Coach Gilmore said, hey man, we're going to offer you basically a financial scholarship to come here, which for me was essentially full ride. So Wow. Congratulations. What a great story. What was that like going home and being able to look at your parents and say, man, I'm going to school? It was surreal in the sense that I want to say signing day was like two days later or maybe not, if not the next day. It was like, hey, this is the last day before signing day and I don't have no offers. I was kind of I was kind of freaking out a little bit because I was like, hey, if they, I need to get this offer because signing day is tomorrow or Monday or whatever it was. So apparently when I went home. The signing day, you put like a little flag and, you know, the purple candies in the background. But the bookstore was closed. So there was like nothing. So apparently there are parents like trying to find purple ties and like, hey, man, we got to put something together. And somehow, some way, signing day comes around. And I still go like, hey, man, is this going to work out? Like, are we, because I got to sign what you call a letter intent. And I get there and there's somebody set the table up. There's purple. There's a purple Holy Cross flag. Somebody got me a purple hat. It was a purple tie and it worked out. So I was like, man, like, <laughs> I guess I'm going. So it was surreal in a sense that there was so much going on, but I didn't really unpack it till the day I got to campus and my mom dropped me off and I was like, oh, I'm about to go play college ball. Yeah. Yeah. Life is different. Exactly what it was. Let's take a step back. I've heard you reference a few times in just these 10 minutes, your obsession mm-hmm. with getting an offer Yeah, and your panic and anxiety about maybe not getting one. Yep. Can you recall... When you mentally committed to say, I'm going to do everything I can to play football in college so that I can go get an education. Yes. It wasn't – this is why I think it's always important who you surround yourself with. It was my freshman sophomore year. I had just met Deshaun and Dre, my best friends, Mr. Lawrence, um, Uncle Dave. Like They're all kind of in that little cloud. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of w- wiggled my way in there. And they said, hey – you should come work out with us. And I'm like, I work out with you guys every day. He was like, no, like you should come work out with us outside of school. We work with Steve Campbell down at Rock Hard Fitness. You should come work out with us. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I talked to mom. I don't have a car. She can't really afford to drive me there and back. But somehow we ended up figuring it out and up staying at the Andrea Deshaun's. 
and I go there and there's Norma Hayes about to go play ball at Harvard. There's James Walters. He's going to Stanford. Dre and Ashana there. And there's like 10 guys. They're all like trying to play college ball. And I walk in. I'm like, oh, this is for real. And I remember getting under the squat bar and he puts on 225 at that point. That's easy for them. I hadn't really lifted like that because I never lifted outside of school. School's kind of just like PE kind of thing. <laughs> and I get in the bar. He says, okay, we're going to warm up. Do it for 10. I'm like, 10? Now, I know I can't do this for 10, but I'm going to try to do it for 10 anyway. This is like my max. I do it for 10. And I rack the bar. These guys are putting on 315 more plates. And I'm like wobbling <laughs> towards, the, <laughs> towards the edge. I'm like cramping already. I'm like, this is the worst <laughs> thing I've ever done. So they put me, they, my first day is on a leg day. And leg day is notoriously hard for him. I remember seeing those guys go and like, see, I was like, man, this is a league above it. Like this is, yes, this is our second workout of the day. And we're one, I can't believe we're doing two, let alone like all these, oh, you're trying to go, are you going to Stanford? Oh, you're going to Harvard? I'm like, wait, what? I'm just, my mind's blown. So at that point in time, I was like that brotherhood, these guys, it feels like they're doing something right. I want to go along that path. How old were you at that workout? Do you remember? I may have been 16, 15 going on 16. Oh no, no. Take that back. I may have been 14, between 14 to 16, but young yeah. enough not to know what I'm doing. I love this story. I was literally with Darian Harris yesterday, who was one of the top outside linebackers going into college, played at Michigan State, part of the winningest team at Michigan State. They won 43 games in, the, in his four years. Just a stud, defensive captain, plays for the Bengals CFL for a minute, and he's just doing great things at Michigan State. But yesterday... He was talking about the impact and influence of Mr. Harris's father, who's a performance just assassin yep. and really instilled the discipline and work ethic of working out and taking care of your body and your health is your wealth. Mm -hmm. And he referenced, not in his words, but he made the analogy, so there always is another level. Yep. You might think you're good, but there's always another level. Absolutely. And it sounds like that was your introduction to another level. It was. It was. Like, what do you mean go work out? We work out at school Dude, already. Yep. That's exactly what it was. Talk to me. Share with our listeners about other times when you were surprised, maybe at the performance of your teammates while you were still in high school or at your own performance, mm -hmm. a moment when you really performed at a level beyond what you thought you could even do. Can you recall a game or a practice like that? A game or a practice. I've had a few in college. I've always thought that like the capability was there. When I tell people the hard part is it's just mentally when you haven't it's hard it's hard to see that that's possible when you haven't gone there yet. Mm -hmm. Everything else is kind of just smoke and mirrors at that point, but I've had a couple games and you know it was it was a camp. It was a camp in high school, it's probably the very first moment. There's a guy there. They were there because they're going to give him an offer. And I'm just like just another receiver out there just, just going. Basically, the last two, the, it was like the last one-on-ones, best on best from the camp. They ended up picking me and picking him. I'm, obviously, I'm the shortest guy there. And the camp, I was, I was just attending everybody else to go there. I wasn't really like the main part of camp, and it's me and him. And I'm winning these routes. You know what I'm saying? The ball could be here, there, but like I'm winning these That's routes. That's it. The guy, I want to say it was Wake Forest. The coach comes up, and he tells uh, Mr. Lawrence was there. He's like, man, if he was, if he was two inches taller, we'd give him offer right now. Like that was the only issue. Like if we give him, if he's too strong, we give him off right now. But at that point, I was like, that dude's like a dude. Like he's supposed to like they're there. Yeah. He worked out at one point during the whole camp by himself because they were going to give him the offer, which they ended up giving him an offer. But like that let me know I can do this. And then like I said, college, I had a couple games where like it's a hundred yards. Like, oh man, like my first hundred yard game was like, oh, like it's it's possible. Yeah. Took a kick return back, and I'm like, oh, like I can. 
Yes. I can do it. It's so like the work that I put in ended up coming to fruition later on. So those are the biggest moments, yeah. I'm a huge fan of our friends at Sport of Kings out in LA. And as a listener of this show, you've got to check them out. Sport of Kings is an LA-based clothing brand that was started by two surfers and longtime friends. The story's incredible. They carry a wide range of premium tees, hoodies, sweats, caps, and more. And they're designed in-house folks made locally in Los Angeles and Orange County. Samantha and Ava and Atlas say, Dad, you're either in a blue suit and white shirt or Sport of Kings. And they're right. That's about it. Don't forget, Sport of Kings is a homegrown brand focused on quality over quantity. And if you go check them out online at S-O-K-F-Y. So basically, Sport of Kings Forever Young, S-O-K-F-Y.com. And use the promo code PODIUM. You'll receive 20% off your entire order. Again, that's SOKFY.com. And use the promo code PODIUM at checkout for 20% off. And now, back to the show. Can you think of anyone outside of your family and Mr. Nelson who had a really significant impact prior to you getting the Holy Cross? And then I want to start to unpack Holy Cross. Steve Campbell, like I said, the guy that worked at Socks, a lot of, a oh, lot of yeah. that, I didn't realize Socks got older, man, but a lot of that wasn't from a finan- I mean, he, financial standpoint. He was doing it because he loved kids. Some of the kids really couldn't pay, which I didn't even know until later on. He was giving us tidbits, expecting us to be there, expecting us to be accountable. And like I said, just being surrounded by those guys. Mr. For there's times, like I said, we couldn't even afford to stay at GAC. Mm-hmm. But man, there were families that were chipping in. Jonathan Ford, the Norris, I mean, they were chipping in. Like I didn't know until they didn't tell me, obviously, but as I got later, I got an opportunity to thank them. Like, man, you being able to stay at that school and be around those guys and be around that environment, it put my family, myself, but my family's trajectory on a whole different path. So I'm glad you said that. I mean, that's a huge shout out to Greater Atlanta Christian. In any given year, there's dozens of families that probably go out of their way because they just care so much about the community, about the school, and about the young men and women who deserve these opportunities, right? Absolutely. I love that you pointed that out. Take us to Holy Cross. What's your fondest non-football memory at Holy Cross that will not get you in trouble today? (sighs) Fondest not. I mean, (laughs) it's a college football. So um, (laughs) there are two things. And there's one I have one, and this is why I say certain people who used to run just actually there's oh man I got a lot of moments now I'm just brainstorming they kind of tell it to football I think my favorite moment is me and my my, my buddy Steve and Steve was kind of like the big brother in that little group like he had a car things like things we I yeah mean, he's Steve's from Texas dadness of Cali I'm from Georgia yeah we both we all get there and we're like what is winter. We don't have coats. Mm-hmm. It's an executive decision to go eat. And I remember at one point, like, you know, we don't have any, we don't have a dime to our names. I remember Steven had some frozen peas and he had two pieces of chicken. I walk into the room and I'm starving. I have, I mean, I don't have any cash. I'm not eating. I think the dining hall is closed at this point. And I see the chicken and I love Steven. So I'm not going to ask, but they smell great. Steven, I know for a fact, has he eaten because we're in the same boat. Steven looks down at the chicken, looks at me. He's like, Man, you want a piece of this chicken? I'm like, brother, with all my heart, I want a piece of that chicken because I'm hungry. And he actually gave me a piece of the chicken. But we both split some frozen, little, little small handful of frozen peas and carrots and the two pieces of chicken. That was one of them. And then probably uh, this is kind of related to football in the sense that we have morning workouts. 
Um, we leave on a we. It's a Mount St. James, Holy Cross on a hill, and it is freezing snow everywhere. Probably a snowstorm name that we've been through out of the seven yes. that we've been through. And uh, we stay at the top of the hill. Breakfast sign in is at the bottom of the hill, and workouts is further up top of the hill. But you have to sign into breakfast before you can work out, or you have to run in the morning. And uh, I remember me and my boy Dabness, we walked to the front of the exit to the building, and he looks at me. He's like, "We ain't gonna make it." And I'm not going. Basically, it's too early. It's cold outside and colder than cold. Like, not it's not it's it's freezing out there. And I don't think it's worth it for us to run down there and run back up. We might as well just take the 5 a.m. workout. At least we'll, you know, we can prepare the next day. That's it. And I look at him and I'm like, I'm for sure not taking a 5 a.m. workout. I can make it. So I run all the way down to breakfast. I think I have 10 minutes to get down the hill. And this is a, if you look at this hill, 10 minutes is not a lot of time. I run all the way to the bottom, sign in, and from there it's like a 400 meter dash getting up to the up top of the hill because I have to get up there. I have to change clothes for my workout. I have to be in there before the workout starts, so you consider late. And I mean, it's a full splint. My legs are throbbing. It feels like I just ran a track meet. I get in there and I actually make it before the workout starts. So that was one of the moments where I was like, "Yeah, I can, I can do this." <laughs> I love it. When do you think it? When in your time at Holy Cross, I know you were playing football and track. Mm-hmm. When do you think it was clear to you that you you had a chance to make it to the league? I want to say I always knew I was going to try. I don't think it became exceptionally clear until my senior year because my stats weren't crazy. And at that point, being at Holy Cross, I tell you, spot your surroundings. I wasn't even thinking football simply because Dabness, the one I just told you about, yeah, he went to Wall Street, and I remember seeing him a couple summers, and you know he's bringing home pamphlets of. You know, Pimco and all kind of things, and I'm, I was there just to visit him. I was going back to go work out, and I was like, "Wait a minute!" I called Mr. Lawrence that day, and I'm like, "Hey, I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> like, like this man's working on Wall Street. This is summer. It was our sophomore, junior year. I can't remember. Yeah. He's bringing home X amount of dollars. Like, even though it's just an internship, I came here to visit him and him and a guy named Manny who's working at General Electric. They're both gone. They're both went to work, and I'm just sitting here visiting, and I got to go back to Holy Cross to work out. Mrs. Lawrence, like, look, man. I know like you feel this way, but you pick the path, like you pick the what's important to you. So just trust the process and don't compare yourself. But after that day, what I was like, advice. yeah, it was, it was. Seriously. Yeah. It helped me mentally because dad was, you know, said they, your dad was on Wall Street and I'm just like, man, I'm football is kind of like, I know I'm going to try, but it's not like I'm at Holy Cross D1AA. It's not for sure. So I'm like, all right, man, I need to go into finance. I need to go like, I need to have a backup plan just in case. And then I ended up working my way through that a little bit, thankfully. It just gave me some peace of mind, but it was kind of always there. My senior year, I had a really good year. Everything that I knew I could do kind of just came to fruition. And then after that year, I was like, I'm going to give a legitimate shot. But I'm saying going into my senior year, I knew I was going to try because it's my last year. And I called a, uh, sorry, I'm trying to rant, make sure I don't rant a little bit. I called a Holy Cross alumni and I said, hey, I need a job, but I don't need a job. I said, hey, I need a, I need something I can put on my resume. But I can't spend a lot of time because I have to invest my time in the football because I'm going to try this my senior year. But I need something I can put on paper so that way in the event that this doesn't work out, I have a backup plan. His name is Craig Saratani. Craig said, look, I'm going to create you an internship here. You got to come in twice. The whole the whole summer I went in there twice. He said, I'm going to teach you as much as I can in that little two, three hours that you're here. And we're going to write on your internship, resume what you need to write just in case you need it as a backup plan to apply for jobs later. That little bit, them two weeks, and knew I had something to put on my resume for the summer, gave me such peace of mind that I was straight football up until that point. And my senior year actually ended up panning out for me. So I haven't used it yet, but <laughs> I do have that on my resume. <laughs> I love the fact that Mr. Nelson always was able to help ground you, I think, in moments where you were stressed out or maybe feeling a little bit anxious. 
about your present situation. Yep. I love that you responded with his reminder that like, hey, you chose a path. This is your path. Don't compare yourself mm-hmm. and trust the process. Yep. It sounds like that happened again, right? When you were able to dedicate your full attention and effort to football your senior year. It did. It did. How did that pay off? Talk to us about that senior year at Holy Cross. It ended up being my best year in all three phases, track, football, the whole thing. I mean, I don't think I went all conference as a returner and receiver, which is cool. That's probably a cool thing at the banquet. It's like a New England banquet. They got all these stats and then it was like, at all conference, at both uh, all New England, all conference as a receiver and return to accolades coming out because of my senior year. And I'm like, by far the shortest person walking in the room. They're just like, oh, like that guy. So all the work that I put up until that point in senior year, went down to train with Steve for a month just to, like, to kind of get that grind back in it, which is crazy. He ended up coming back in later and helping me out. And How much were you squatting it. then, though, so that we know about your progress over eight years from 14 to 22? Oh, man. Well, it was more than 25. Wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't super <laughs> crazy, honestly. It didn't really become crazy this year, but... uh. <laughs> Yeah, it was more than it was more than two this way. When I went back there for the for that workout my senior year, I was the guy that like, you know, watch out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this might be a little too much for you. <laughs> but it wasn't crazy. Oh, it wasn't crazy. So. Warm up. <laughs> um so yeah, that, that ended up happening. And then I ended up oh, Holy Cross to have a pro day. So Harvard, I, right? I went to Harvard. Yeah, yeah that's it. Tell, tell us what's that like? So you think you're good enough to play in the league. Yep. There's no pro day affiliated for Holy Cross. Mm-hmm. And so you're doing what? What are your options at that point? I am trying to find a school that's going to allow me to get in. And that's a whole process. You got to call a scout. The scout has to call the school. The school has to say, oh, you want to see this guy? Well, let him in. And then it's not your pro day. So I had kind of like a historic pro day as far as what not to do. They said, hey, be here at such and such time. This is when the paperwork is going to start. I'm 10 minutes early from that time because, you know, I was like, oh, paperwork. But I still want to be 10 minutes early just to you know, find my bearings, make sure I know where I'm going. They called me 15 minutes before that time saying, hey where are you? I'm like, I'm on the way. He's like, well, the workout's about to start. I said, wait, what do you mean? He said, the workout starts at this time. I said, but on the paper, it said the paperwork starts, not the workout. The workout was supposed to start an hour later. So they called me. I'm the last guy in there thinking that the paperwork started and my plan was to show up 10 minutes early. So, and it's not my pro day. It's Harvard. So they're like, we don't even care who you are, man. I get there. They're already starting The Harvard dudes are warmed up. There's another section for the non-Harvard guys that are attending the pro day. So like trickle in with them, I'm thinking like, hey, they're like, go ahead and start warming up. I'm thinking like, hey, they're going to put me in the back of line. Man, they put me at number three. So I'm like, wait, <laughs> I'm the third got to go. So I'm trying to hurry to warm up. I'm jumping. They put me on a bench press. I'm like warming up with something. And they're like, you're up as I'm putting this back. So there's no recovery time. I just got to hop in and do the bench. And it was just, it was a lot going on. But thanks for all the training, running track. Yeah. I've been running track before that. So like my speed had been where I needed to be. Ran a 4-3. That's all she wrote from there. 4-3? So, yeah. So they say. It's hand time, but I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So what did it look like going into draft day? I mean, take us down that memory lane. What were you doing? What were you thinking? Who was with you? What was the energy and the excitement like in that moment? Oh, man. It was it was like I knew I could get drafted. I wish they told me there was no chance I was getting drafted. But like they said, man, you could go in the seventh round. So like the seventh round, I'm like, hey, man, it could be the fifth round. It could be the sixth. I don't know. So I'm just, I'm, I'm excited. You get a bunch of phone calls after the after the pro day at scouts and special team coach calling me. And like I have I actually have every single one of the voicemails saved because you don't know who's calling you before. So I save. But I was like 10 or 15 voicemails to this day. I will not delete because that. that was my first. Hey, man, this is such a from the Jets. Such a Joe D from, a special, uh, from Denver. He called me. He's like, hey, man, this is Joe D. Camilla, special team coach from the Broncos. I'm like. 
oh, I need to call him back now. So you get a bunch of calls because, you know, saying they're scouting you and the scout's job isn't to find a draft pick, it's to find the undrafted guys. So they're calling me up saying, hey, man, there's a chance. Like, just look for six, seven round. You never know. But in the seventh round, and go by. I didn't get drafted. But eventually I signed. I think they called me on the way to like dance class. And, who uh, wait, who was with you on draft night? It was just my boys. It was my just boys. You it, and but, your but, boys. See, but it was actually during the time of the draft, everybody had class. So like it was just me. <laughs> like so like so like I was just in the computer just kind of like looking stuff out. And it's funny because they the Denver Broncos called and said, Hey, we want to sign you to undraft the free agent contract. And my boys are like, they threw a party. <laughs> they threw a party. And I wasn't even in the party. Like, they threw a party and I just went to my room because as soon as they called me and said, hey, we're going to sign you to undrafted career agent, I signed. I think my boys and ball coming to the room from the team. They threw a party. They lift me in that. the air. And as soon as they put me down, I go into my room. Everybody's outside partying. I'm like, hey, man, I know y'all having fun, but I got to make this thing work. Like, the work is here now. <laughs> like, as soon as, they, as soon as they put me down, it was no longer party for me. I was I like, from this that. point on, the pressure is hit. I got to go. So, yeah, I didn't, even, I didn't party that night. It was From that point on, it was all ball. That's awesome. And how long ago was that now? Oh, that was 2016. Yeah, six years. Yeah, well, maybe that may yeah, six and a half, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's been a long time. And so since then, mm-hmm. since 2016, Broncos signed you as an undrafted free agent. Mm-hmm. You touched the Broncos, the Jets, the Giants, and the Titans. You have a good run with the Titans. Yep. And in 21, you land here in Detroit. I do. That's it, man. Then we met Mr. Manny and his his, his life has been a blessing. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a long journey. When did you know it was going to work in Detroit? Like, when did you know? They sign you. I think the whole season, people were like, dude, did you see this guy? Mm -hmm. Did you feel pressure? Oh, absolutely. I knew where I was mentally, but it was my first time getting... You get signed as a free agent, but that's my first time getting signed as a free agent. Like, as, hey, yes. man, like, you're signing as a free agent, not a, oh, let's pick this guy up, try him out for a little future no. contract. It was like, we're signing you to have a legitimate opportunity. So, like, the pressure hit, and then my biggest thing, because of the way that I work and the way that I recover, train, I guess the professional aspect of it, it's just to try to be available is all I can, and just know everything as much as I can. So, I was trying to be there, and it actually get to the point where, like, I end up starting at some point, you know what I'm saying? And it kind of kind of actually wrote. Definitely felt pressure just because, like I said, it's my first time being signed and I wanted to make it work. And I also knew what I was capable of, but also knew what they were trusting me with and a lot sure. of things. So, can you think of one or two other young men or women within the organizations that you played with before the Detroit Lions that had, had an impact that, you know, you still reflect on what they said or how they treated you or something that occurred between you and them that's been meaningful in your life? There's a good bit of them and a, and a lot of them I hold dear. One guy we know, changed again for me, we both know Benny Fowler. He was so inf- influential because he put me on side, the mental part. And you talk about next level, there's a physical next level and then the level to let you persevere through it all is actually the mental aspect. Yeah, that's Benny's the, at, a, at a level oh, of man. his own. Yeah, and, right? and, and that's, but I, I had no idea that was the case. And that's the difference between a good player a good person or great person is the mental part of it. And he introduced like the meditation, work on your mental, you know what I'm saying? Reflect, calm. Like, I didn't know that was a part of the game. He helped me. You know, what's crazy is, and I, don't, I actually don't even mention his name much. It's always why I had a lot of respect for Odell is because there's, huh. like, there's a whole bunch of stuff happening. Yeah. In New York, right? It was. Yeah. He was a god of like, hey, man, do this, 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 and this. He was always like pulling guys apart, giving them little tidbits. And a lot of those are very instrumental in what I do. Actually, it's crazy because some of the tidbits he gave me, he probably doesn't even remember, but I'm like giving them to like 
guys that are undrafted now. Like, hey, man, well, look, when I was playing, this is what he told me. I didn't recognize it then, but if you yeah. can catch it now, it's not going to take you three or four years like it did me. He was Demaris Thomas when I was there with Benny. Oh, oh man, man, DT. Dude, DT was a was a good dude. He's a beast. Yeah, he was. He was. And he take you on the weed. The way I run my routes now based on him. Actually, I, I really think that those guys are never Emmanuel Sanders, just retired. Oh. But I watched him work in the stuff that didn't matter. And that was huge for me, too. So, yeah, a lot, a lot of influential guys on that Denver team. But Yeah, I'll tell you. I mean, I know that Beans is how you and I met. But I something he has always said since when I met him years ago, and I've had other people reference when they realize that Benny and I are close friends as well, is, hey, man, he taught me how to be a professional. Everything about him was class. It, it was is. always class and be a pro yep. and behave like a pro. Mm-hmm. Even when coming out of spending money, man, you know, he was like, man, I'm like, oh, Bean, that's a nice thing. Like, man, that's some TJ Maxx, dude. I'm like, I was like, what? He's <laughs> like, look, I get the whole facade of it all. He's like, it's like, oh, man, D, oh, oh Beans, would you? Because, you know, guys, a big contest driving around these cars. <laughs> he driving around in a Ford, man. And he's just like, just the same car. Like, oh, no, nah, man, this is my dad's car, something like that. I'm like, what? Are you <laughs> here for? Right. Oh, man, look, I don't. And he just like, man, just it's the way he attacked it was like the way that you see life and the way that you see this game. I can, it's, it's no surprise to me how why your career has been prolonged the way it has been because he's undrafted, too. It's no surprise to me where you are because you approach things in a very professional manner. You don't get caught up in the, the facade of it all. And I thought that was really cool. That's a quick shout out to Mr. Fowler and Mrs. Fowler. I mean, they, they just they raised two incredible young men and Benny and Chris. I can't tell you how many times I've heard Benny reflect on something i'm like i always forget his dad was like a 30-year really high-powered high-ranking executive at ford so i mean he was just a corporate assassin right and so i see how benny like comes off Mm -hmm. like a ceo at 25 at 27 at 30 yep you know confident knowledgeable man oh Uh, i think that's huge man there's a level like mentorship and it's huge whether it comes from family friend especially i think most importantly like a father the dudes who have their father ingrained that confidence and acknowledging them at an early age, it is apparent both professionally and in the league as far as confident-wise. The most confident person I think I've seen playing that I'll ever play next to was A.J. Brown. Oh. Love that dude. Love that dude. And I remember telling some guys, I was like, man, he has a confidence in him that's like not it's not on a top layer we can easily wipe off. It's just it's just something that's concrete down yeah. in there. And I couldn't figure out what it was. Like, man, how did you just become so – and it wasn't cocky. Yes. But it was like, sure. It was like somebody told you from the day you were born that you were going to be great at this. Then I met his pops. And I was like, it all <laughs> makes sense. Tom Brady. Dads. Oh, and it's like, man, man dude, you no do, doubt. Dude, it's, it's, it's huge, man. It's huge. And you, you, it's, it's such a consistent theme, man. So, yeah, man, shout out to the fathers doing that because that's, 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 that's awesome. It's critical, man. Somebody who can just ingrain that confidence and that courage in you from an early age. And you just build on that to the point where, like, no matter what happens at the top layer, good or bad, if you wipe off everything that happened to you, both good and bad, you, you have a con- concrete level of just confidence built up of I can do it in you based on somebody who blessed you with that early age. And, it's huge, man. You can definitely tell that. It's all the most confident dudes, 90% of them, I, I would believe that, like, man, their fathers are, like, very important in their lives, man, because it shows. Yeah, dads matter. Yeah, definitely. And it's not just dudes, right? Because, yeah. I mean, you got Alex Vernon sitting oh, yeah, over absolutely, here. Absolutely, and Mr. Sean yeah. Joint obviously did oh, a good man, job look, with her oh, confidence. Look, 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 absolutely. <laughs> she, she's not I'm pausing not trying to on see much. the left-hand jumper <laughs> or the left-hand hook. Either one of those, I'm, <laughs> I'm good on. Dads no. matter. That's yep. the point. Yep. But before we start to wrap up, talk to me about – your perspective on young men 
who are in college wanting to make it to the league mm-hmm. and they start considering things like the transfer portal. Oh. Do you have a thought or opinion on that? It wasn't as available for, for of course. when I was in college. So there was a lot of cons to come cons, you have to wait a year and like yeah. you lose a year of eligibility. I would always say that and like from a root of it all, I think as the first thing you should change is yourself before you try to change is your environment. And not saying change is a bad thing, but your worth ethic will take you where you are in college now and it will take you where you are. But if you don't have it there, it's not going to change with the environment. You have to first focus on yourself and make sure that's in line with wherever you do before then. Yeah. And I love I love that you said it because I've heard it from a few different people in just the last 30 days. There's a difference between working hard mm-hmm. and having relentless work ethic. Yeah. Anybody can show up to a practice or a workout and work hard once Yes, if it's oh, demanded and expected of them it, yeah. versus yep. someone who just has a relentless work ethic yes. and they engage in it nonstop with an obsession about whatever their vision is Absolutely. for life, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you're referencing is if, if you're not happy with your playing time or you're not happy with the current reality mm-hmm. of the program that you're in, maybe maybe reflect in, mm-hmm. maybe look at the man in the mirror first and say, is there something more I can do? Is there something different I can do Absolutely. before I start thinking that it's my environment that I got to change? Absolutely. Huge, man. Huge. That relentless work ethic. They always say it's the man. What's the, I, don't, I don't know the exact quote. The man drenched in sweat, blood and everything, and nobody's watching. If you have that level to where in college, I used to work out. The It was called Loyola Gym. It's the only gym that stayed open past I think basically 24 hours. The other gym yeah. was closed. But that one, me and a guy, my I want to say going into my senior year named Tate Beachley, he was the only guy that told me yes to go. We work out every night from 12 to 2 just because the only gym that opened, I got to get one in. Like, I just have to go. But, like, nobody needed If Tate didn't come, I was still going to go. There's times Tate didn't come. But he, t- he came a good bit at the time. But I was going to be there either way. When I was at Holy Cross and I needed to run track, they close at a certain time, but like you talk to the person in the front, hey man, I just need an hour. I got to get faster. I was going there and just run, but nobody mm-hmm. had to be there. I was going to do it. My boys are going out partying, but I had to go run. I had to go run. So there is no substitute for hard work, but it has to mean a lot more to you than the person you want to become has to mean more to you than the person you are now. And if you take that mindset and you apply that and it's every day, no matter what, you'll get to where you want to be, no matter what the environment says. I'm a big believer in that. I love that. What's it like to play with two rookies like Aiden Hutchinson and Rodrigo, Malcolm Rodriguez, yeah, for yeah, people yeah, who don't know yeah, what yeah, that yeah, means? Yeah, yeah, young, young Rigo. <laughs> Dude, I'll I tell you what, there's, a, there's an it factor as far as the the work ethic goes. And Say more about that. that. They had, like I said, talent. It's, it's so cliche, but hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Yeah. You're talking about two talented guys, but haven't forgot the it factor of hard work to the point where like he's, you know what I'm saying, he doesn't have to be, neither one of them have to be tired, but they're going to push themselves to be tired. Fip challenged them, special teams. Next thing you know, man, he's running down there on special teams. It's Rigo and making plays. Like, it's just. Malcolm is insane. He is. He is. I just, I'm just blown away. I can't remember who said it, but when they drafted him, they're like, he's going to be the special story this season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it, man, like I said, he, to me, the things that make a player is not on the field. It's the stuff that goes unseen. I honestly believe you stick either one of those two guys and you put them in a weight room and turned off all the cameras and say, here's what you got to do. I don't yeah. think they skip a beat. I think, yeah. And I think that's what makes them different. It's yeah, I believe the, it. It's uh, what are you willing to do when nobody's watching? And I'm confident that they would get it done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Favorite Coach Campbell story that you can share? Dude, honestly, 
everything you see is who he is. So it's not like it's, I know, uh, I it's not it. like a well, you're, what you see is exactly what you get. He's literally my favorite NFL coach right now. Authentic. It's not. There is no precise. He's exactly Incredible. who he says he is. Do he just? I think there's a story about his coffee one time. He's two super venti max lots. I don't know what it is <laughs> he drinks, but no, nah, I think he drinks them. <laughs> like that, that was huge to me. Like I don't, I don't think he's lying to nobody there. He's a boom, 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 boom. Watches every single clip. Not like a. I mean, to this point where like I'm thinking in practice, man. If I like the song, that's in practice. But I'm positive if I dance to this song and it's on video, like yeah. he's gonna see it. Like what do you do? Like, like he it. just watches everything. So very meticulous with this. Tone at the top. Mm-hmm. What's the tone at the top with Coach Campbell and the other coaches right now? Just grit, man. Just, just. I mean, that's I think that, I think that's the they say in this. But the guys they build her in the locker room is. It's, it's meant to be that to be the foundation. They're gritty guys, gritty in the way they work. They're gritty in the way they coach, and they expect the same of us. But that's also the guys that get here expect that of themselves. I mean, that's kind of like they do the same. They, they look at themselves before they even look at us. So that's probably the biggest part. Yeah, look, I mean, I'll tell you from the outside looking in and being a Chicago kid, I had one brief conversation with Coach Campbell, I think, back in April of this year for about 20 minutes. And that quick conversation on the phone it was probably one of the coolest experiences I ever had because he literally was exactly what I thought he would yep. be yep. based on the sidelines, based on hard knocks, based on everything I've ever read about him, based on his NFL career. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, man, this dude doesn't have an on-off button. Like yeah. He legitimately is that way at all times, mm-hmm. and it takes a special human to be able to do that. It does. It does. Well, look, between the coaching staff that he assembled, which to me reminds me of the the comic book Avengers, mm-hmm. those guys are assassins. Yep. The team that you're playing on, the forward looking at the season, there's so many great things to be excited about if you're a Detroit Lion and if you're a Detroit Lions fan. So on behalf of our firm and the podium team, obviously we wish you the best, brother, and I'm excited to see you catch a few more balls. Yes, and the tradition of giving Mama Kim yes. every touchdown every ball. Every single one. Although I got to say, man, once you and Jules are married, uh-huh. you might be handing the ball elsewhere she, besides yeah, yeah, Mama no, Kim, she, right? Yeah. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> no, Jules, Jules got one. Actually, the Chicago game, I scored two. Jules and Mama there. And they both took one home each. Yes, man, every game, I'll find her. I always find She always sends me a seat number. I'm always doing like this tour, which is basically I, I love you in sign language. And every time I go in at halftime or come out of the tunnel, she just, I'm talking about for a cool five minutes, just standing there like this. <laughs> like, like I'll, I'll be looking at his mom just <laughs> the whole time. So... Yeah, yeah, she'll be there. I know exactly where she at. Basically, after I score, man, it's a beeline straight to wherever she is. So That's it. I love it, brother. Well, I'm excited to watch you play on November 13th in Chicago at Soldier Field. We'll be there. We'll be excited to get to say hello to your mother and to Jules. Yes, sir. Thanks for being on today. Appreciate you, man.